Take your Bibles out today, folks. Uh, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 90. You know, if anything, the, uh, the funeral today reminds us that you certainly don't have to be old to die. I want to talk to you tonight about the brevity of life. If you would find Psalm 90... And stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please. Psalm 90, the brevity of life. Notice who wrote this psalm. Uh, This is a psalm that is a prayer of Moses. We generally think of either uh, King David or Asaph being the writer of the psalms. But uh, this one stands out to us uniquely in that it is by Moses. He says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever. You had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. And like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood, they are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withers. For we've been consumed by your anger. And by your wrath we are terrified. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins and the light of your countenance. For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you've afflicted us, the years in which we've seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Father, we thank you tonight for the gift of life. It is a precious gift. And we know that uh, while we enjoy this gift that we are to use every moment that we have. To be about your business. Father I pray that our lives. The life of this church. Would greatly magnify you. Lord we know that we have such a short amount of time on this earth. We know that time itself is short. We look at what all's going on on the face of the globe. And Lord, it just makes us think that the coming of the bridegroom must be right around the corner. God, I pray that we would be diligent. Diligent about your business. 
diligent to magnify you, diligent to live every day of our lives, every step that we take under the Lordship of Christ. And God, for those around us who do not know Christ, help us to reach out to them with the urgency, again, as we understand the brevity of life. God, I pray that somebody in here tonight, thinking of the brevity of their life, may be led by your Holy Spirit to do some things that you've been laying on their heart to do. That we would make the most of our time, that we would redeem the time because the days are evil. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, we recognize that life is fleeting away. Uh, Even during the days of our life, so many things are uncertain. We certainly know that there is no permanence to anything upon the face of this earth. But the Bible assures us that there is permanence with God. He's the foundation of everything. Now, fortunately, the person who is anchored in Him is eternally secure. Aren't you glad of that tonight? That is a promise that we have in the Bible. And that is the assurance that we see here in Psalm 90. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but Psalm 90 has given us one of our best loved hymns. The hymn entitled, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past by Isaac Watts. It's a hymn that we commonly sing at the end of a year, the the end of one year and the beginning of another. It says, our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Now like Moses, Isaac Watts recognized that our lives are insubstantial oftentimes and they're fleeting. After a short duration, we fly away and we're forgotten as a dream. But he also knew that believers have an eternal home in God. And that's what he writes about here. Now let me give you a little background to this psalm. Psalm 90 is the only psalm in the Psalter that is attributed to Moses. But you'll remember it's not the only piece of poetry that Moses wrote. There's two songs of Moses In the Word of God. The first is in Exodus chapter 15. Now you remember what's just happened in Exodus uh, chapter 15, right? What's happened there? Excuse me? They've just just been taken uh, out of Egypt. God has delivered them. And and a Pharaoh has uh, driven them out after that last plague. And they they have gone out uh, into the wilderness. They're beginning their journey toward the promised land. And they come to the Red Sea. And that's where Pharaoh decides that uh, he's made a mistake and he's going to go back after them. 
And so he sends his troops back after him. And so they have their backs against the sea. And everybody's petrified because they see Pharaoh's army coming. But God tells Moses, Moses just hold up your staff. And he holds up his staff. And God parts the waters. And they, and they walk across on dry land. They get to the other side. Pharaoh's army tries to follow them. And they're drowned. They get to the other side. What do you imagine their mood was like? It was one of celebration, right? And and so that's exactly what happens there. They begin singing and celebrating. And and, and Moses writes this great hymn of praise in, in Exodus chapter 15. And during that hymn of praise, we're told that Miriam and all the ladies, they take out their tambourines and the people of God begin dancing before God. They're celebrating. That's one of the songs that Moses writes in the Word of God. Well, the next, the other one, is found in Deuteronomy chapter 32. It's the song that Moses recited. He recited to the people uh, as he ascended up to Mount Nebo right before that when he died. And in that song, what he's doing is he's recounting to all the people of God uh, the great acts that God has done in their behalf. And he's also reminding them of their rebellion and the price that they paid when they rebelled against God. And so that song becomes an admonition to them as they go out into the promised land that they dare not conduct themselves according to the ways of disbelief that had so characterized them. Well, between those two events in Moses' life, we have Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is a sober look at life in light of the brevity of life. Now, there are three events in Moses' life that probably provide the historical setting. First of all is the death of Miriam, Moses' sister. Secondly, there's the sin of Moses in striking the rock in the wilderness, which kept Moses from entering the promised land. And thirdly, there's the death of Aaron, Moses' brother. Well, let's go back and think about those a moment. The death of Miriam is reported very briefly in the scripture. In fact, her death just occupies one verse. Numbers 20 verse 1. But that was a huge loss to Moses. She had been the leading female character at the time of the Exodus. Now true, she wasn't perfect at one point. She along with Aaron led a rebellion against Moses. And yet by the time of her death, she and Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua were the only survivors left of the people that had come out of Egypt. And so I'm sure there was a great deal of reminiscing between those five. And now Miriam is dead, leaving only four. And Moses and Aaron soon are to die. Now when we look at the sin of Moses, we can understand it without excusing it. Moses was 120 years old when it happened. For 38 years he had looked forward to getting into the promised land. And had it not been for the disobedience of the children of Israel, they would have already been in the promised land just shortly after leaving Egypt. But because of their stiff necks, stubborn hearts, God turned them away from the promised land. So surely Moses had to be disgusted with them. 
During the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, he'd been so patient with them, but he struck the uh, rock out of anger, and it was all over for Moses. God did not allow him to enter in. And then there was the death of Aaron. The people mourned Aaron's death for a whole month. What What a huge loss that must have been for Moses, because Aaron had worked side by side with him for those 40 years. Now those are the events that are believed to be behind Psalm 90. And yet as you read Psalm 90, do you notice a bitter tone to this psalm? No, you don't notice a bitter tone at all. In Psalm 90, Moses simply grapples with the fact that life is brief, life is frail. Man is sinful and he desperately needs God every step of his way as he goes through life. In fact, God needs to be his constant supply of strength and of hope. Now this psalm provides us with one of the greatest contrasts in all the word of God of of the differences between God and man. And it also admonishes us to live with the right perspective. The first thing that it points out for us is the awesomeness of God. Read with me again verses 1 and 2. He says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Folks, every one of us need to live with a vi- we need to live our lives with a vision of the greatness and the grandeur of God. Amen. That ought to be what defines human life. Our relationship with God and our convictions about who He is and what He's done. And the fact that we're going to meet Him one day. And and every one of us, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to give an account of what we've done. God is great. God is awesome. And what does Moses say here? Moses said, Lord, you've been our dwelling place from generation to generation. What does it mean to say that God is our dwelling place? He's to be our refuge, right? The psalmist says, God is a refuge, a tower of strength, a present help in time of trouble. You look at everything going on on the face of the earth. You look at the lives of men and women, even young people. You look at what's happening among nations. You look at what's happening among leaders who come and go. You look upon some of the natural disasters and so forth that take place. We look at the face of the earth and what do we see everywhere we look? We see change and upheaval on the face of the earth, do we not? Can you put your roots down on the earth and be safe? You can't, can you? You can't place your hope in the earth. You can't place your hope in man. You can't place your hope in the circumstances of life. There's only one 
There's only one that we can put our hope in and our faith in, and that is God. He's our dwelling place. You look back through all of your life. You think of your life when you were young, when you were a teenager, when you were a young adult and got married and then you started having children and maybe you launched out into a new career. You look at all the different changing things of your life and what's the one constant through your life? The one constant is that God is with us. From generation to generation... God's there, and we can depend upon Him. Amen? That's why John says in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, he says, Love not the world, nor the things of the world. For he who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the things of the world and the world itself is what? It's passing away. The one who loves the world is passing away. But the one who loves God and places their faith and their trust in God and depends on God learns that God is faithful and God can be depended on. When nothing else in life lasts, God lasts. He's been our dwelling place from generation to generation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things uh, which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Like the book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, The saints of old were what? They were looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. What changes do you need to make in your life so that your focus can be more on God? Well, a second confession Moses makes that describes the awesomeness of of God is found in verse 2. And that is that God is greater than creation. He says, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Who wrote Genesis 1 and 2? Moses did, right? He wrote those chapters that have to do with the creation. In the beginning, uh, there there was God and God said, let there be light and there was light. and, And all those days of creation are described there. And you know what some men and women do? Just read Romans 1. What do they do? They worship the creation rather than the creator. Moses reminds us here, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you're God. God's to be our dwelling place, and He's greater than creation. A third statement about the awesomeness of God is that He's eternal from everlasting to everlasting your God. God supersedes time. Nothing can diminish His glory. The things of the earth will not last, but He will. 
Jesus said in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God's eternal. He's the only one who is worthy of our ultimate affections. He's the only one who's worthy of our worship. A fourth statement he makes here about the awesomeness of God is that God judges man. He says in verse 3, you turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. And then down in verse 7 he says, for we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We're terrified. Hebrews 9 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the what? The judgment. Now, does the Christian need to fear judgment? No, not in the ultimate sense. Romans 8, 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But does that mean we just live unconcerned about our lives and how we're marking time? No, because 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that we will stand before Christ, the Bema seat of Christ one day, and we'll give an account of our works. It's not a judgment of salvation, but a judgment for reward. There's coming a day that the saints of God, all of the saints of God, we're going to stand before God. We're going to be judged by God. God knows everything about our lives. He knows the deepest secrets of your heart. And one of these days, He'll be your judge and my judge. And we need to live in light of that. That's what Moses is admonishing us to do here. I I think of what Paul said. Paul, how he got to the end of his life and he said, You know what? My life is being offered up like a drink offering. I've, I've fought the good fight. And I've kept the faith. And I've finished my course. Will each one of us be able to say that? Now, in great contrast to the awesomeness of God, I want you to notice, secondly, how Moses goes on to write about the frailty of man. Look at what he says about man beginning in verse 3. He says, you turn man to destruction and say, return, old children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. You carry him away like a flood. In the morning, they're like grass that grows up. In the evening it's cut down and and withers. He says in verse 9, All of our days have passed away in in your wrath. We finish our years like a sigh. The days of our years are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they're 80, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow for it's soon cut off and we fly away. In contrast to the awesomeness of God, is the frailty and the weakness of man. He makes four statements here about the frailty of man. First of all, he begins talking in verse 4 about the brevity of life. Verse 5 is a picture of sudden destruction. That's how swiftly the life of man comes to an end. We're clicking along and all of a sudden we're gone. Think of those people on the cruise ship last week. 
Some of them saved up, one couple, what had saved up for years and years to be able to have a nice vacation. Boarded the ship. Such excitement. And now they're gone. The brevity of life. The brevity of life. Think of all those folks on 9-11 in those twin towers. They went to work that day just thinking that was going to be a day like any other day. Kleine Biggs in our church led a team in one of those buildings that day and and he evacuated his team and they got out of the Twin Towers. They were out on the pavement and one guy said, I've got to go back for my laptop. And he said, don't do it. And the guy said, yeah, I'm going back for my laptop. My whole life is on that laptop. And he went back in and Kleine said, we never saw him again. Life's brief. Sudden destruction. We get carried away just as swiftly as if a current of water from flooding picked us up and carried us away. Verse 5, he says, they, they fall asleep. We're like a dream. We go to sleep. We dream. We wake up. It all happens in a single night. We lay down, go to sleep. Sometimes it seems like we've just gotten to sleep and the alarm clock goes off. We think, man, it can't be time to get up yet. But it is. That's how life and death are. It's simply another picture of brevity. Verse 6, we're like grass. In the morning the grass flourishes. In this particular culture and climate, the grass and the flowers would come up in the morning after the dew settled overnight. Those spring, those desert flowers would come up and the grass, it would look so nice in the morning. But by that afternoon, that, that blazing desert heat, the grass was gone. It had died. All of these, Moses, he, he's just given us images of brevity. It's like the man that knew something was wrong with him. He went to the doctor, he and his wife, he, 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 got, a, he got an exam. The doctor called him up later. They went in to meet with the doctor to find out how serious everything was. The doctor said to the wife, can I talk to you a minute? And he pulled her aside and he said, listen, your husband is is really, really sick. You need to take good care of him. Feed him anything he wants. Give him back rubs, foot rubs. Bring his newspaper to him. Turn on the ball game for him. Take good care of him. And if you do this long enough, he might pull through this. On the way home, the man looked at his wife and said, What did the doctor have to say to you? She said, You really want to know? He said, Yeah. She said, He said, You ain't going to make it. (laughs) In verses 7 and 8, he talks about the sinfulness of life. Even secret sins are exposed in the searching light of God's holiness. Moses connects the sinfulness of life with the brevity of life. Man dies because he sins. The wages of sin is death. Yes, we might be forgiven and redeemed, but guess what? We still die. 
Moses might have been thinking of, uh, of Adam and Eve in the garden, what God said to Adam. He must have also been thinking about his own sin when he struck the rock. And, and thus he was going to die and not go into the promised land. In man's sinfulness, he's subject to the wrath of God. Are you and I aware of this? Sin always leads to death. Death of hopes, plans, relationships, health, and eventually even to that ultimate spiritual death that is separation from God forever if you never come to Christ. Folks, if, if we could see the sinfulness of man and the gravity of it, maybe, maybe it would stir us not to think so lightly of sin. I think of what David said in Psalm 19. He said, Also keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Thirdly here about the frailty of man. He talks about the, uh, the limitation of life in verses 9 and 10. God has limited human life because of sin. I mean you even look at the book of Genesis. and time you get to the end of the book of Genesis. Lifespans have been greatly cut down. Could you imagine with all the wickedness of man that we see, could you imagine if people were still living to be five, six, seven hundred years of age with all the wickedness and evil in their hearts? He says, today we're given 70 years, maybe 80. God set a boundary on life. Then in verse 10 he talks about the labor of life. He says, the days of our lives are are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off when we fly away. Life is hard. Labor and sorrow. You know what he's probably thinking of here? He's probably thinking of God's curse on, on Adam in Genesis 3 when he, when he pronounced the curse on, on the serpent and then Eve and then on Adam. Remember what he said to Adam? Adam by the sweat of your brow, now you're going to have to till this soil. Life's going to be hard. Well, thirdly, I want you to notice with me the petition of saints. When you're, when you're talking about the awesomeness of God, contrasted with the frailty of man, where does Moses land down? He lands down offering some petitions. The petitions of the saints. Look at what he says the saints need to be praying. First of all in verse 12. So teach us to number our days. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Folks think about that. Think about numbering your day. He doesn't say number your weeks, number your months, number your years, number your decades. But what's he say? Number your days. How are we to look at every day in light of the frailty of man? How are we to look at every single day? Every single day is a gift from God. I'm exchanging a day of my life for whatever it is I'm doing. Think of the choices you make. 
the places you go, the relationships you have, the things that you're investing your time and energies in, is it worth your life? What are you giving a day of your life for? He says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know how people, so many people are living today? They're just getting up, they're going about every day, especially young people it seems. They just live every day of their life like they're going to be alive a hundred years from now. Have you ever noticed that about people? They just take time and life for granted. Who knows? This very day, somebody sitting in here right now, this very day may be the very last day you have on earth. Between now and midnight, I might be getting a phone call on you or you might be getting a phone call on me. Guess what? So-and-so's passed away. We've never had a time in the life of the church where every day, We've had a funeral. But that's the way it's been the tail end of this week and over the weekend. Today may be your last day or my last day. God teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. How would you have spent today if you got up this morning and God had let you know Today was going to be your last day. Would it have changed anything about your day? I think it would have, right? I think it would have. He says, secondly here, have compassion on us. In verse 13, God remember our weaknesses. Come to us in a fresh way. Return to us because except you do, there's no hope. Verse 14, a third petition, satisfy us with your mercy. Think about that. Think about what an awesome statement that is. Are you satisfied with God? Is God enough? We have all this stuff around us like us. It's not going to last. It's destined to perish. Everything's destined to perish around us. The only thing you and I truly can say that we have is our relationship with God. It's going to go out go into all eternity, right? We need to be satisfied in the Lord. That's really an argument for contentment in Christ, isn't it? What Paul talks about to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. So many people around us aren't content. They're certainly not content with God. We need to be, learn to be content in our relationship with God. Verse 15, a fourth petition, bear our burdens and give us joy. Look at what he says there. He he says, make us glad according to the days in which you've afflicted us. In other words, Lord, balance out life for... don't, don't Don't let life be all about trials. Mix it up with some joy too. Verse 16, save our children. Verse 17, let your beauty shine on us. Verse 17 again, give us success in our work. The the word here is confirm or establish and has the idea of giving permanence to. 
If life is short, then our life's work needs to be right in God's sight. There needs to be some type of God-honoring legacy to our work. Folks, think about that. God doesn't need us. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Jesus said God's able to raise up from these stones children for Abraham. And yet though God needs absolutely nothing from me, God has determined that my life is to be lived for Him and the work of my hands is to make a difference for His glory. William Taylor wrote, So long as we are here, we're required by Him for something. Let us therefore find out what it is and do it. And while we do it, let us pray that God may establish it so it may remain to bless posterity. Think of Moses' life. He saw that burning bush and went back and delivered the children of Israel. Led them up to the promised land. God used him to write the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. In the Pentateuch, of course, there's what? The Ten Commandments. We have this psalm here that we're still reading centuries later. Has Moses' work had an impact on the world? You better believe it. What am I doing? What are you doing that's going to be a legacy for those who come after us? Are we living our lives just as present day consumers on the face of the earth getting all we can while we can? Are we doing something with our lives that will make a difference to those who come after us? It ought to be our prayer. God establish the work of my hands that, that when I'm gone my life will have mattered. It will have made a difference. Amen? God's great. He deserves to be your refuge and your dwelling place. He's God. You're not. Is He your refuge? Do you know Him? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If not, you need to be saved. You need to come to Christ before it's too late. If life's brief and you're not guaranteed the next day, that sort of presses home the urgency of the moment, does it not? Is He the one to whom you run? Remember, if He created everything that is, He can surely take care of you and me. Is there some burden you need to lay at His feet? Life's brief. What are you living for? Is there some service you plan on doing one day for God? You better get with it. Is there somebody you plan on sharing the gospel with? You better get busy praying for them and sowing the seed with them. Life's brief. Enjoy the work that God gives you to do. If you don't enjoy the work that God gives you to do, then you know what you need to do? You need to find something that you do enjoy and that you can do under the Lordship of Christ. 
and present that as an offering to Him someday. Don't waste your life doing something you don't want to do or don't like doing. Remember tonight, we're stewards of all that we've been given, both with our resources, with our talents, everything we are and everything we have. We're to use them for kingdom's purposes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm, this prayer of Moses, that reminds us that life is frail. And life is brief. We don't have to be old to die. God, I pray that we would not live our lives in such a way that we'd get to the end of our lives or what we think would be the end of our lives and we look back and we're filled with regrets. And we think, oh, if I'd only done this or only done that. God, help us as your people, as your saints to get up every day realizing we only live that day as a gift from you. And we're to present that day back to you as an offering. God, help our vision not to be clouded by the things that we see around us. The things of this world that would tempt us and draw our hearts away from you. God, help us to keep our focus. That we'll finish well. That we'll get to the end of our lives and our lives will indeed have been lived as an offering to you. May your Holy Spirit guide us each day and give us wisdom. May you be our dwelling place. May we be fully satisfied with you. And not always thinking we got to have something else in this world. God, I pray for that one here tonight. Who may be living with all the wrong priorities. That you would get a hold of them tonight. As they go home tonight and this week. That they would think about the brevity of life. That they wouldn't waste their lives. For that person seated here tonight who may not have a relationship with you. God press upon their heart that they're standing right at the edge of eternity. And they're not guaranteed tomorrow. I pray that you would convict them of their sin and draw them to Jesus Christ. Father, as we put our hand to the plow for your kingdom's work, may we do so each day with all of our might. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please? Our hymn of invitation is hymn number 519. Maybe you just want to come in a public way tonight at this altar and say, God... Help me to have the right focus. Help me to live in light of my own frailty and your greatness. Lord, teach me to number my days and gain a heart of wisdom. That I'll get to the end of my life and look back. And will be satisfied to be able to say, 
There's nothing that I would have done differently. I've lived my life for Christ. Is that your prayer tonight?